Um, it wasn't, he didn't always ask for a recurring health issue. It wasn't for a non-Christian friend or family member whose salvation he was praying for. It wasn't for financial issues. But every single week he would ask for us to pray for smoothness. He just wanted his life to go smooth and easy and everything to work out. Wanted God to bless him's life so much it would just always be smooth. Now, we might laugh at this prayer request. I did every time he asked. Um, but the reality is that deep down, all of us want God to bless our lives. All of us want to experience the blessing of God everywhere that we are and everywhere that we go. Now, we might not call it smoothness. We might not be so bold to pray it, but we really do want and desire that. Now, our psalm this morning, it actually talks about the blessing of God, and it gives us a much better way to pray for it than asking for smoothness. In Psalm 67, we are, are taught not just how to pray for God's blessing, but we will actually see that we are promised that God's blessing will come to those who put their faith in Him. So I want us to take a look at Psalm 67 and see what it teaches us, just, not just about prayer, but about God's blessing as well. So if you have your Bibles, if you would go ahead and turn to Psalm 67, and if you would stand with me if you are able for the reading of God's Word. Now may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask um, that you would come in this place, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, that our ears would be open to hear your voice, that our hearts would not be hard and cold, but would be warm and open. Lord, that your spirit would illuminate to us what it is you have to teach us, that you would help conform us to the image of your Son. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're going to look three directions um, here this morning. We're going to look inward, outward, and heavenward. So our first point in your bulletin, if you like to take notes, is that we should pray for God to bless us. It's a typo. I did the slides this week, not Brianna, so that's my fault. So we should pray for God to bless us. So the beauty of this psalm is that it begins with a prayer. And the prayer is a request. It's a prayer request that God would bless us. And the prayer might sound familiar to some of you. It's taken from the priestly prayer in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. At the beginning of Israel's history, right after being set free from slavery, God commands the prophet Moses to pray this prayer with these words over his people. And so Moses prays it. He prays it over Israel, over Aaron the high priest, and over his sons who will be priests after him. We sometimes use it for our benedictions. Personally, it's my favorite benediction to use. So let me read it for you now so you can see where it comes from. In Numbers 6, he says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So the psalm takes those verses and it turns it into another prayer. It uses it. Again, verse 1, we see it. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. 
It intentionally repeats the prayer in a few key phrases, the be gracious to us, the bless us, and make his face shine upon us. Especially that last phrase, make his face shine upon us, it's rarely used in the Old Testament except in relation to that priestly benediction. And Israel would have recognized immediately that this psalm was repeating that priestly blessing. They would hear it after only a few words. They'd recognize it just like you recognize your favorite song after just a few beats or a few notes. Or like a parent can tell that, oh, that's my child crying, even if it's across the building. When you know something deeply, you can recognize it. And they would recognize it not just because they heard it plenty of times before, but they would recognize it because it's significant. It wasn't just a nice prayer or some good words to use. It was a blessing directly from God. And God himself wrote this prayer. Okay, Moses didn't come up with it. Aaron and the priests didn't write it. God dictated it. Similarly to how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray with the Lord's Prayer and said, hey, this is how you should pray. Here are the words. God taught them. Here's a prayer that you should pray. And because God wrote the very words of this prayer, right, we can assume he's going to listen to it. He must think it's a good thing to pray. These must be right theologically and, and good and things that we can do. We can assume and know that this is a prayer God will hear. This is a blessing that God will bring. Now, we don't always know if God will hear our prayers. Sometimes it feels like you're just ringing that, door, that doorbell, right? And God, are you home? It doesn't feel like you're listening. But you'd better believe when you pray Scripture... When you pray the very words of God and when you're praying them in the context of His words, you're not just ripping them out and making them mean something that God didn't mean them to mean. When you do this, that's a prayer that God hears. So we can confidently know that God will, we can confidently pray that God will bless us when we're using the words of God. And we can pray this prayer for ourselves because it's a promise that God gives to His people. And it's not just a prayer of hope, but it is a promise. God promises that He will be gracious to them. God promises that he will bless them. God promises, I'm going to make my face shine upon you. He promises his countenance is going to be towards them. He promises, I will give you peace. And we can confidently pray this prayer as well because through Christ, right, through our faith in Jesus, we have been adopted into his family. So we can go ahead and so we can have this promise for ourselves. So let's take a look at these words a little more closely. What do they mean specifically? First, we're praying that God would be gracious to us. May God be gracious to us. We're really asking that God would be kind to us specifically, not just generally. We're asking that God would treat us better than we deserve. We're asking Jesus for mercy. Listen, every prayer you pray to God is ultimately asking Him to be gracious to you. Because none of us deserve the blessings of God. None of us deserve anything from God other than justice and punishment and torment. So if you're asking for anything other than that, you're asking and praying, God, be gracious to me. Even asking him to hear is to ask him to be gracious. None of us deserve to have any of our prayers answered by God in and of ourselves. So anything God does to us is gracious. But it's not just a prayer that God would do things for us, right? It's a prayer that we would find favor before him. And so we pray not just for his graciousness, we are also praying, right, for his blessing, that he would bless us. God, would you be gracious to us and bless us? Don't just, you know, be kind to me, but also would you, would you bless us? This isn't just, again, asking for things, because sometimes the blessings of God is something we don't always understand. 
We can talk about being blessed when we just mean, I got something new. We got a new van. We're so blessed because we've been given this material thing. That's typically how we can think about it. But we're so materialistic, that's most of what we do, right? If you have lots of grandchildren, oh, you're blessed. If you have a good job, oh, you're blessed. If you have a good vehicle that's not breaking down or your air conditioner is working still, oh, you're blessed. Now, that's not untrue, but the blessing we should be praying for is much more than air conditioners and good jobs or even grandchildren. The prayer for God to bless us is not just a prayer for God's to give us money. It's a prayer that God's hand would be on our lives. It is a prayer that His fingerprints would be throughout our days, that all of our moments would have His presence and His divine blessing on them. The God that we worship doesn't just give us things. He gives us Himself. Even in the midst of profound suffering, He blesses us. Even in the midst of poverty, we can have peace and blessing. So the prayer for our blessing, it shouldn't just be asking God for stuff. And ultimately, too, at the core, we should be asking for God to be present in our lives, even when it doesn't feel very blessed. And the, the last phrase in verse 1 is my favorite one. You know, we pray we should ask that God would make His face to shine upon us. Make His face shine upon us. When I read this verse, I, I just think of in a picture of God's face up in the heavens. Picture the God of the universe looking down from his throne with a massive smile on his face as he looks at you. That's some of what it is asking for us to do. That our whole body and our spirit, it would be warmed. Just like you can feel it. Just like you can feel the heat of the sun when you're on the beach at the ocean and the sun is shining. Would God's face shine upon us? It's a prayer that God wouldn't hide his face from us. Right, that it's a prayer that he wouldn't look away and ignore us. It's a prayer that when you look up in the sky, you can know God is looking down on you and his face is shining. That's what we pray for. Right, this is why in the new heavens and the new earth, it says there's going to be no sun. Now, I don't understand all the astrological implications of what that means. Maybe, it's, maybe it means the sun will cease to exist. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it just means we won't need it. I don't really know. But what it does say... What it means is God's face is going to be there and Jesus will be there and their faces are shining. You won't need the sun. You won't even notice if it disappears because his face will shine upon you. It will shine so bright that all darkness everywhere is cast out. You don't need to buy any more light bulbs. So we should pray this prayer. We should pray this prayer over ourselves, pray it over our family, over our church family, our community, our state, our nation. It's a good prayer to pray. I pray this prayer almost every single night, at least the, the priestly one from Numbers. All right, we got two young children. It's just part of our nighttime routine, right? We have it. We don't, we don't always follow it. Things don't always go according to plan when you have toddlers. Um, sometimes they don't cooperate. Sometimes we're just too exhausted to follow our plan, and we just want to get this day over with and be done. But often, when, when I'm good and we're following the plan and I pray over my sons before we put them to bed, I pray this prayer. I lay my hands on them and I ask that God, I pray the words of Scripture. I ask God, would you be gracious to them? Lord, would you bless them? Would you make your face shine upon them? Would your countenance be with them? Would you give them peace? God's Word never returns void. So I think it's good to pray it. And we should pray that God would bless us using the words of Psalm 67. 
So we look, you know, this is how we can pray. This is a good way to pray for God to bless us. Not just asking for smoothness, even bless those around us. But when we look at the rest of the psalm, we're going to see that this blessing is meant to extend further out. This isn't just good instructions for how to pray for yourself or the people you care about. That it goes much wider than that. So number two in your bulletin is that we should pray for God to bless the world. Or we should pray for God to bless others. We should pray for God to bless others in the world. You see, as believers, we're not simply just trying to hoard the blessings of God for ourselves. Right? Our religion is not just about us secretly gaining favor with God so we can have the most blessing and you figure it out for yourself. I've got mine. Or we at least want to have more blessings than other people, right? No. Well, the fountain of God's blessing never runs out. Never. There's more than enough. And so we should pray that God's blessing would extend out to others. And so... This prayer of blessing, it starts with ourselves, but it continues. It begins with the people of God who have his particular blessing, but that blessing is not supposed to stay there with them. It is supposed to extend out into the very corners of the world. We're to pray not just for ourselves, our families, our churches, or our nation. We're to pray for all families, for all churches, all communities, all nations, everywhere there's anybody. Should be praying for them. In fact, look how many times in these short seven verses. This is a small psalm. It's not long. That doesn't mean I'm going to preach less, but it's, you know, it's less verses. Right? But so you notice, look how many times in these verses others are mentioned. We go through them. Set verse 2, on earth, all nations, let all the peoples. And verse 3, let all the peoples again. Verse 4, let the nations the peoples, the nations, earth. Verse 5, let the peoples, let the peoples again. Verse 6, the earth. Verse 7, let all the ends of the earth. It's over 10 times in seven verses that God mentions the whole world. All the nations, all the peoples. Okay, here's a Bible study tip for you. If something's repeated, it's probably significant. Take a closer look. If something's repeated three times, Probably really want to pay attention. Wow, it must not be an accident. This must be intentional. Okay, if something's repeated more times than there are verses in the passage you are looking at, you should really pay attention there because something important is happening. Take a closer look. Why would God do this? It's impossible to read Psalm 67 and think this psalm is all about us. The psalm is about the blessing of God going out into the nations. How it should extend there. So we should pray this. And we can pray for the world, right? Because we're just asking God to fulfill His plans. We're asking God to do what He said. And God's plan of redemption, it has always included all of the people. It has always had everyone in mind. Right? It's a fulfillment of the covenant and the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Okay, God chose Abraham. That was particular. That would almost say, wow, that's kind of exclusive. God, there's lots of people on earth. You only picked one. Well, look at what he did. He chose Abraham particularly. And he said, Abraham, in you, I'm going to create a new people. Your descendants are going to be greater than the stars in the sky. And he wasn't just talking about how many kids could trace their lineage back to Abraham. He said, I'm going to create the nation of Israel from your seed. But his plan was not just to bless Abraham. It was not just to bless Israel, and it wasn't just, well, I'm going to bless Israel. The rest of you, good luck. You're on your own. Figure it out. I'm going to be Israel's God. Go get your own God. No, the plan has always been that through God's covenant people, the blessing of God would extend to the whole world. 
The promise to Abraham was, I will bless you, and those who bless you, I will bless. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That all the other nations, all the other peoples, they will have an opportunity to participate in this blessing too, through you. Yes, God created Israel, but it was meant to act like a nation of priests. It wasn't just meant to be isolated by themselves. They were meant to point to all the other nations and say, our God is the true God. Come and worship Him. He's not just for us. You should bow down to Him too. They were meant to draw the other nations into the blessings of God because only there, only in God can we find a true relationship with Him. And so this prayer, we're really just asking God to do what He promised. Right? We're asking God to continue to draw people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people group and ethnicity and nation into the family of God. So this prayer is just asking God to do that. Let's take a closer look at verses 2 through 4 to see how we should pray for the world. So we know it's supposed to be that. Verse 2, we pray that your way may be made known on the earth. This is a prayer that the nations would know the ways of God. What does that mean? Well, it means partially they would know the stories of God. They would know the things that God has done and the things that God does. They would know the way that God moves and acts in the world. And it means they would know also how we're to live. Not just the things God does, but also what God wants us to do. His ways that he asks us to walk in. They would know how God wants us to act. But it's not just that the world would know his ways. It continues in the rest of verse 2. That they would know your saving power among all nations. It's a prayer that they would know the power of God. That they would understand his might. They would understand he is mightier than their gods because he actually exists. That they would know that he is the creator who made the world with his mouth, with a few words. That they would know he can make planets stop spinning if he wants. They would know he has the power to send plagues and disasters. They would know he has the power to calm the storm when he says, stop. The prayer is not just they would know his kind of generic power and ability, but particularly they would know his saving power. That he is the God who saves. He is the God who can deliver from the flood. He is the God who can deliver you from slavery. He is the God who can set the captive free. Most of all, he's the God who can save you from your sins. He's the God who has the power to rip you out of the devil's grasp. And set you free. He is the God who has the power to save you from death. He is the God strong enough to bring you back to life in the resurrection. And give you eternal life. So we should pray that the world would know that kind of power. Not just that they would know it intellectually. They wouldn't just know, oh yeah, Christians believe Jesus saves people. You know, we're not just supposed to present a series of arguments so they can hear about it. We're not just supposed to pray they can hear Bible stories so they can be more aware we are to pray that they would know God. That they would know His ways because we want them to walk in them. That they would ex- pray that they would know His saving power because they have experienced it and felt it in their very soul as it gave them new life. That's the way we should pray for others. You see this in verse 3. Because we pray that in knowing these things, they would experience them, they would embrace them. And then verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. See, it's a prayer that they would worship God. 
It is a prayer that on Sunday morning right now all across the globe and every nation people would wake up and they would go and praise our Savior. That they would join in with our songs. We pray that they would teach us their songs that we've never heard before. That God would be praised in languages we don't speak and we can't understand, but that every nation everywhere there would be people worshiping and praising Him. It continues in verse 4, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Again, it's a prayer that this praise, it comes out of joyfully, out of experiencing the salvation of Jesus. It's not just a solemn, quiet song. It's not really sure how they feel about it or not. No, it's a joyful shout. It's filled with the beats of drums and with strings and trumpets. And all the native instruments of nations whose sound we probably, maybe we haven't even heard yet. That all of those would be together and they would be making a loud, joyful noise of worship to our Lord. Verse 4 continues to show us why else these nations should sing for joy. But before you judge the nations with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth, the nations can praise God because He is God of all the nations. He is not just the God of Abraham, of Jacob, of Isaac, and Israel. He is the God of Assyria, of Egypt, and Babylon. And all the ones that came after and all the ones that will come too if the Lord tarries. And our God is a fair judge. He judges the people with equity. It means he's a good ruler. He's a good judge. He doesn't play favorites among the nations. He might have chosen Israel, but it doesn't mean that Israel has their sins overlooked while other nations are punished. In fact, when you look and you read, it often seems like God is not judging the other nations as harshly as Israel wishes he would. And Israel keeps getting punished over and over and over again. And what this means is also that our God, He guides all nations on earth. He judges them with equity and He guides them. He is not just the God of one nation. I, I don't know if I can make this point strongly enough to see how radical this was for the time period when this was written. In the time of the Old Testament, the ancient world, right, they believed in national gods. Okay, every nation or every people, tribe, you got your own gods. You got your gods, we got our gods. You know, there's lots of gods. Cool. Well, your God's in charge of your nation. My God's in charge of my nation. Why don't your God stay out of my God's business? And you just stay over there. You leave me alone. But what our God claims is he is sovereign over every nation. He might have chosen Israel. It might be his. They might be chosen. They might even be special and have a unique relationship with him. But he is the God of your nation too. And he guides all of them, not just a few. And God is intimately involved in guiding every single nation on earth, even those who don't know his name. Even those who know his name and they blaspheme against his name. Every nation on the face of the earth is under God's sovereign rule and guidance. He's the God over all of them. What God wants us to see in these verses and what the nations are supposed to hear is that every nation is welcome in the kingdom of God. It is not a, just a claim of dominance, it's a claim of invitation. It's a claim to come and embrace the gospel, that every tribe and tongue can come and receive his blessing, that anyone who comes and throws themselves at the throne of grace will find grace and forgiveness and salvation and will be welcome. So the question we should ask ourselves, right, I, I think is, and are we praying for the nations? Are we praying that the nations will be blessed through Jesus? You know, we all find ourselves in our own particular nation, right, which is the United States, that's where we're at. It's good to love our nation. It's good to pray for our nation. It's not good to only pray for our nation. 
We need to pray for all the nations. We're not just citizens here. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And our fellow citizens are in a lot of other nations as well. And we should pray that their number increases. We should pray that they would come and all the nations would join the kingdom of God. They wouldn't join this nation. They would join God's nation. And our, our prayers for our nation, they shouldn't just be centered around a particular political agenda, but around God's agenda, around the kingdom of God. You know, would you rather a nation embrace capitalism and democracy and freedom, or would you rather them embrace Jesus? Okay, those aren't bad. Those are good. I hope people embrace that. There's plenty of good there. It's a lot better than some alternatives. What does it gain you if they gain that, but they don't embrace Jesus? Eternally nothing. What does it say about us if we pray and we care a lot more about something other than people finding Jesus? Other than people embracing the gospel and coming to join his name. I'd rather pray what the psalmist asks us to pray. That the peoples would find your saving power and they would worship you. They would come to know the saving power of God. So we know what we're supposed to pray, but what about the answer to our prayer? When we look heavenward, see our third point is that Christ fulfills our prayers. Christ fulfills our prayers. Verses 6 and 7, they have significant phrases. This is where the title of the sermon is coming from. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. It is a declaration that the blessing that we are to pray for will be achieved. And we know on this side, what, what the psalmist didn't know when he wrote this, is that this blessing came and it's coming again through Jesus Christ. We know this blessing is sure. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. We talked about this recently, right, as we were walking through the book of Galatians over those many weeks. So Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one. He's the promised seed of Abraham. And it's through Jesus that all nations of the world can be blessed. He was the way that all the nations would be blessed is through Jesus. Romans 11, right? Jesus is the one who grafts in the Gentiles into the people of God. This means that Jesus died on the cross for the world. He didn't just die on the cross for the Jews. He didn't just come to adopt the religious elite of Israel into his family. Jesus came and died so that every single human being can come into the kingdom of God through faith. That every nation can experience the unique blessing of being God's child. Every individual can through the blood of Jesus. And in the mission of Jesus, his mission extended far beyond Israel. Right? He commissioned the disciples after his resurrection, before the ascension. He said, go out and make disciples where of all nations. Go to the ends of the earth. The followers of Jesus were meant to go all over the place and proclaim that the blessing of God was available to those who believe in the Messiah. At Pentecost, the founding of the church, this truth is made clear. Right When the Holy Spirit descended and through tongues of fire, the apostles were speaking in tongues. And there's a great crowd from all over the world, and they're there. And even though they're from all these other nations, they could hear the gospel proclaimed in their own tongue. At the Pentecost, the Tower of Babel is reversed. The nations were divided because of their sin, but now we can be united by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus into a new kingdom. Might have different tongues, we have the same Lord. And the Holy Spirit, He descended on the Gentiles. The Gentiles, right, it's just a Jewish word for other nations or peoples. That's why it pops up all over the Bible. What it means is that the Gentiles being blessed by God is that every nation can be blessed by God. Every nation that puts their faith in Jesus, every individual who puts their faith in Jesus can experience his saving blessing. This isn't just possible, or this is only possible because Jesus died for the Gentiles too. He didn't just die for Israel. 
And through Jesus, we can receive the blessings of the gospel. Really, Jesus fulfills and does everything in our prayer. It's only through Jesus that our prayers can be heard because our, he's our mediator. He is the one, he's our high priest. He stands between us and God. I mean, if you ever wonder, well, why should I pray to God? This is what people who are not believers will ask you, you know, why bother? Even if there was a God, what makes you think he's listening to you? Why would the God of the universe care or listen to what I have to say? Why would he care about my minor frustrations that are going on today? Well, if you've put your faith in Jesus, he stands in the throne room of heaven and he advocates on your behalf. You know, it's kind of like if you wonder why the president of the United States would care about a problem you have, right? Maybe you get fired up and so you sit down, you decide I'm going to write a letter. Or I'm going to send an email. I'm going to dial the White House phone number. Or I'm going to call them. I'd like to talk to the president. I've got something on my mind. I need some help here. There's about a 0% chance you're going to get to hear from them, okay? It doesn't matter. And you're probably not even going to talk to anybody important, right? Well, you need a mediator. You need somebody between you who knows you, who when your name comes up, when they see your letter, say, oh, I know who that is. No, I'm going to advocate on your behalf and go make sure that somebody hears what you have to say, that they hear your request. And actually, I'm going to work to make sure that this gets done. This is what we have in the person of Jesus, you have someone in the throne room of heaven. This is what Jesus is doing. And all of our prayers, they can be heard because Jesus is our high priest. When you pray, and we pray in Jesus' name, that's not just a magical phrase that makes our prayers heard. We are acknowledging that this prayer will only be answered because of Jesus and because of what Jesus is doing. And Jesus' purpose is not just to stand in heaven to talk on our behalf. It is also that one day he will come and he will bring the blessing. Verse 6 tells us the earth has yielded its increase. What this means, it's kind of a strange phrase. It means, man, the earth has some good blessings. It seems to be a reference to the harvest, right? To the earth yielding its increase, being, okay, the harvest just comes in. In fact, some think this psalm is actually just a harvest psalm, that Israel might just sing it after, you know, they have a good harvest. They want to celebrate and have a party. But the point of verse 6 isn't just supposed to be, wow, look at how amazing this harvest was. We sure got a lot of corn this year. Or, man, this was great. The point is to, like, man, look at the blessings that are here that the earth has given us, and look at how much greater the blessings that we know that are to come. Because Jesus has already brought incredible blessings to the world through His Son, Jesus. It's the reason we gather on Sunday to worship. Okay, we think that God has brought blessings. We think He is worthy of our worship and adulation. We think that he has done things for us that are so wonderful that we want to come and we want to praise and we want to sing about him. Okay, there are greater blessings yet to be realized. One day Jesus is going to return. We're going to study his return a little bit in weeks to come. We're going to look at the book of 2 Thessalonians next, um, next starting next week. We'll spend about three weeks there. And there's a lot in that, but the most significant thing I think about Jesus' return is it's going to bring profound blessing. Jesus' return is when we get this final blessing of we shall be blessed because when Jesus returns, the resurrection is coming with him. When Jesus returns, the cemetery will be the place you want to be because the dead are coming back to life. When Jesus returns, those who put their faith in him get to ride with him across the sky as he makes the world new. When Jesus returns, death will be defeated once and for all and will be cast out. When Jesus returns, sickness will be no more. When Jesus returns, you can throw all your medicine away. He ain't going to need it. The healer is here. 
When Jesus returns, there will be no more tears because he himself will wipe them away from our eyes. When Jesus returns, the pain will be gone. Jesus returns, the lion will lay down with the lamb in peace. When Jesus returns, we'll turn all our swords and plowshares. War is over. No more need to fight. When Jesus returns, true and lasting peace will be here. And the heavens and the earth will be remade. God, our God, shall bless us. And that blessing will be fulfilled in the person of Christ. It ends in verse 7 with, Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I don't think that means we should just be afraid because his return will bring judgment, although it will. When Jesus returns, the wicked will be punished. When Jesus returns, justice will be handed out, and some should fear that day. But you don't have to. Jesus died on the cross for you. The blessing of God is available to you and to anyone who wants it, to anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. All you have to do is to give your life to him, confess your sins, believe in Jesus, and be reborn, and be blessed. But I do think part of what will happen when Jesus returns when he's riding across the sky with his hosts and the earth is consumed with fire, when he casts death out from our memories and he binds Satan forever, I think we're going to look and be filled with awesome wonder and awe at his power. Fear would be a good word for it because we'd just be so amazed at what we just watched him do. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So where have we been this morning? Well, just giving you a couple of good things to pray. I think we should pray for God to bless us. We should pray for God to bless others and others extending out into the entire world. And what we see is that Christ will fulfill our prayers. Not just our prayers, but the prayers of the psalm and everything in his word. Now, the blessing of God is coming. It's sure. It's on its way. Every day you live, you are one day closer to it. The question is, is the blessing of God coming for you or not? I invite our worship team to come up as I close this in prayer. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would bless us. Lord, that you would bless us not with the, the things that we're tempted to want to ask for, the things that we think we need, like little children who can... You know, be convinced that we need ice cream for breakfast when really we need something more. Lord, would you bless us with what our souls deeply need? Would you bless us with yourself? Lord, would you be gracious to us? Would you be kind to us? Lord, would you make your face shine upon us? Lord, if there are those in this room or if there are those in our lives that we know and we love and we care for who don't know you, Lord, would you be gracious to them? Would you draw them to yourself? Lord, would you make your face shine upon them and would you cause them to look up and see how beautiful and amazing you are? Would you empower them to embrace the blessing that you have? And Lord, would you be kind to us and strengthen our faith? We can be discouraged and overwhelmed by the world, by our lives. Lord, would you help us to be encouraged by the blessing of Jesus that is here 
but yet is still to come. We cannot wait for that day. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. And we stand as we worship our Savior in song once more. Amen. Uh, come back last week. Next week, we're going to start a new series in Second Thessalonians. We'll talk about how we can stand firm at the end of the world. Uh, so hear this benediction from the end of 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God bless you. Go in peace.